welcome to today's episode of On the Bright Side. Um, I'm pleased to say we've got the legend that is Roman Rose, um, who has uh, is very quickly becoming a bit of a industry titan in our space in B2B lead generation. So um, I'm going to hand it over to him and, and let him introduce himself. Roman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. A titan. I don't think I'd call myself a titan. Um but I appreciate that kind words. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's okay. So, go on, tell us about yourself, Roman. Cool. Yeah. So, actually, I guess why don't we start with how we met? Your dad reached out to me over LinkedIn um, to offer your services. Um, I checked out your offering. It was very similar to what what I was doing at the time. Um, I'd built what I would call an MVP of our now internal dashboards at my bright side. Um, it was a way of keeping track of what I was. I was doing for my clients on LinkedIn using a combination of Excel spreadsheets, um, visual aids to just really give my clients a look and feel for day to day what was going on, right? Because I think the main sort of problem that we face as a business who's an outsourced agency is really relaying what we're doing back to our customers and making them feel like we're part of their team. Obviously, we're an independent company, we have our own processes. We like to think that they're the best in the industry, but um, obviously we can't always show that. So I think the dashboards was really where that started. Um, I picked up some traction and I felt like it wasn't because of the dashboards. Um, at the time, COVID was around. Um, everything went online and a lot of companies weren't prepared. And I felt that my differentiator was those dashboards. So I obviously spoke to your dad about them being a competitor. I thought, well, why not actually try and sell my dashboards on to a competitor and offer them that and sort of become more of a technology partner rather than a full managed service. And obviously a full managed service and a technology partner, they're two different businesses. And I quickly found out that I was enjoying more managing the technology side of things than dealing with clients, making sure they were happy being on those customer catch up calls. Um, I guess being a young entrepreneur, um, you quickly find out what you like and what you don't like. So um, that was sort of the early part of the journey um, with my bright side. And two years on, I'm now in charge of the full tech stack, making sure that processes are automated to the maximum, um, saving the internal salespeople's time. Um, and time at the end of the day, I think, is the number one driver for sales. Um, if you can get the, as many activities as you possibly can done in the least amount of time, then you're going to give yourself the maximum opportunities to close more deals. So. I think that's really important. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, um, our clients as well have, have seen massive benefit in um, being able to see information on dashboards, um, us as a team internally being able to um, report efficiently, um, analyze information um, correctly, um, which then enables to pivot, enables to um, refine the processes down as well and properly look at campaigns in a way that's um, okay, rather than just headline numbers, what are the things that are going to make a difference here? You know, um, we spend a lot of time, Raymond, talking about data, talking about um, automation, yeah, um, talking about uh, messaging and, and all of those things all go hand in hand, but you've got to have experts in play that can really double down on the things they enjoy as well as the things that they're experts at. Yeah, exactly. So I think the thing that I realized quite quickly trying to launch my own business was you can find 
very easily a thousand people to build your product, but you can't find a thousand people to buy it. So that's when I quickly realized that, okay, it's important to have your idea. It's important to have your product where you think you might add value to anything, right? Whether that's a process, a business, um, et cetera. But if you can't find anyone to buy it from you, then you have a bit of a problem. So I think fundamentally um, what we do at My Bright Side is sort of bridging that gap between, okay, we can use technology to actually help people find buys for what they're doing, right? Um, I think COVID accelerated that. Um, you know, businesses that used to just rely on trade shows or in-person events, conferences, et cetera, to sort of make networking, um, make sales eventually because of that, um, that all shifted right online. And I think when that shift happened, there was a huge opportunity to make processes efficient, automate things. So, you know, CRMs became even more important, right, to keep track of, you know, the different spends on marketing, on sales, et cetera. So I think, yeah, I think when you find what you like and you find what you want to do, um, and in my case, I think that's sales technology, then I think, yeah, it's exciting to get to work every day. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yes, it make, and it makes a massive difference to to um, to results at the end of the day. Um, there's always little levers that we can pull to refine, to refine and improve, which um, there's been a huge amount of work in that in the last year, hasn't there? Um, particularly with the changing landscape in B2B sales. I mean, everybody talks about COVID. They talk about how that kind of... Um, stopped the ability for cold calling to a point because you couldn't just ring up an office anymore and get hold of somebody um whilst that was a, a real art form and really quite hard to do anyways before covid all of a sudden um workforces were kind of dispersed around countries and even around the globe right um and we've kind of had this diaspora of people away from cities and things like that going on so um, using uh, sales intelligence in the data, which we'll all touch on data in a minute, Roman, I promise. Um, but also um, using intelligent methods to get attention as well uh, and knowing how to pull those levers for um, for the sales teams then get in the room with people that they want to actually talk to. It's kind of been, it's kind of, it's changed. Yes, COVID changed it, but the last six months, 12 months, it's even, it's amped up even further, hasn't it? As we kind of, the world settled into yeah. this new hybrid way of working um, and trying to really max out time, basically. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? I mean, sales at the end of the day is getting your product offering in front of the right people and getting it in front of people today is just a world of a difference than it was two years ago. I think COVID probably accelerated it, um, but I feel like new technologies, you know, with Zoom and everything encouraged people to work remotely. That was the thing that was starting to evolve even before COVID. So I think it really was an accelerator. And I think today, exactly six months on, 12 months on to get in touch with someone, um, they could be working remotely from an island in, in Timbuktu, right? So yep, yep. I think the processes has changed. I think that um, the, the technologies we use and the technologies people use have changed. So I think it's a ever-evolving market. And I think based on what I'm seeing, things change literally every two weeks, every three weeks. Um, when I first started this, just to give you an easy example, um, you know, AI helping salespeople generate emails was sort of a very hot topic. Um, it was super new. Uh, the technology was pretty 
pretty simple. Um, today, we're now looking at, you know, a level up where we're actually using technology to help, you know, robots speak and sound like humans, right? So the jump from just text to actually voice and actually sounding like the person is talking, like the person made a personalized demo or personalized um, video for a prospect. I mean, that technology has evolved in the last six months, not even in the last two years. So I think it's an ever-changing market that we as a business have to stay um, at the forefront of. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I read... Um... It was, it was on one of the major um, uh, media outlets here in the UK that um, businesses are reporting that lead and demand generation is becoming more and more challenging. Um, and this narrative is kind of amped up over the last um, over the last year, really, as people are starting to realise that, you know, it, there is a good way to do it. And there's also bad ways to do it as well in terms of lead generation and demand generation. And... Um, I mean, we've we've noticed this with with the conversations that we have with clients and and prospect clients as well. That actually, you kind of you normally find um, companies with a great idea, uh, um, and subsequently, you know, a great um, product team or a great tech team to build out the idea. But actually, as you said before, finding customers is one of the biggest challenges for them, um, and, and getting in the room with the people, the right people, is the biggest challenge. Which then leads us on to the various ways we can do that. Um, there's different channels, right? There's a lot of noise around what's good and what's bad. Um, but I think the most important thing that gets neglected is data, really. Um, it's how you identify the people, how you qualify the people, and then um, the importance of segmentation there and what segmentation can then enable through um, the tools and through hyper-personalization, et cetera. Um, What's your thoughts yeah. on data, Roman? Um, I'm yeah, going to well, light the blue touch paper here because you're going to go on for hours about data, but um, yeah. it's all going to be good stuff. So. Um, <laughs> I think to start data off, if we take it back just a little bit, right? Now that everything's online and everyone's online, we're really competing with literally people's attention, right? Um, they're getting shown ads every second. They're getting shown LinkedIn connections, emails, more than that, every millisecond. So I think really the key part that data plays in actually grabbing someone's attention is finding either someone who's looking for what you're offering or finding the right person, right? Because there's nothing worse than getting an ad or getting an email and it's just not relevant to you. Um, it's actually desensitizing you to the actual emails that could make an impact and improve your workflow, um, improve your ROI, whatever it may be. You're being really desensitized by the amount of volume of ads you're getting. Um, I don't know about you, but like, for example, I just ignore YouTube ads. Like literally, I look at them, but I don't even process them anymore. Maybe there's a bit of some conscious advertising going on, but I really do believe that by using data, we can really target the right people, um, make what we're offering very clear for them to then make that quick, even split second decision to say, okay, I'm gonna pursue this just a little bit more, maybe ask one simple question, um, maybe reply with a thumbs up, whatever it may be. Um, I think data plays probably the biggest part um, in actually grabbing that person's attention. So there's a lot of different things we can use. So the latest thing in the industry is something called intent data. Um, intent data looks at a number of different signals that a company may be putting out onto the internet indicating that they're interested in certain products. Um, 
it's split into third party and second party intent. Um, these are just ways of categorizing GDPR compliant ways of getting that information. Um, a simple way I like to put it is imagine a company um, is putting out intent signals for requiring um, a faster delivery service, right? They may go to certain websites, they may read certain blogs, um, and therefore using the intent providers that we use internally here at my bright side, we're able to then see them looking at those blogs and then target them through other methods, um, going back to grabbing their attention, right? Absolutely. Um, this it's is super powerful of... as well. I mean, what you're talking about there is um, you're kind of matchmaking, aren't you, with that, essentially. You're finding yeah. buyer who's in market and matching it with seller and encouraging the conversation to happen, which ultimately saves everybody time, right? Saves everybody time um, and gets gets you to the front door at the moment. Somebody needs you there, basically. Um, I mean, it's, it's yeah. in, term, in terms of the intent data, are there certain things that you look out for, Roman? Are there certain... Um, I'm asking you questions I actually know the answer to, but it's for the audience's uh, benefit. Um, you know, what, what sort of things do we look out for? So I think intent data starts with topics. For example, if we just take, you know, imagine one of our clients was a finance company offering commercial finance to businesses in the UK. You know, we could look at a search term that says commercial finance, right? And that would fit their bill and that would return, you know, a good amount of companies looking for what our client was offering. But, you know, we could go about it other ways, right? So we could look at companies that are looking for debt, companies that are looking to buy equipment, right? Or big purchases um, that would require commercial finance at the end of the day. So we can look at going about the search intent topics um, quite intelligently to be able to return a diverse group of potentially new customers to a business that they haven't quite sort of tapped into through standard marketing channels, um, which really shows the power of what we offer. Um, and then we can dive deeper, right? So we can find the companies that are looking for those um, intent topics, right? Searching for those products. Um, and then we can really look at, okay, who in the company would be responsible for that? So obviously commercial directors, uh, CFOs, etc. Um, but sometimes it's not always about just speaking to the right title at the company, right? It's about getting in that door and having a conversation, right? So we can target other people in the companies that may make sense. So, um, you know, procurement managers, for example, who may be involved in um, purchasing a new equipment, right? Um, we may be able to get in touch with them. So it's really not just about thinking that sales is a straight hour and you start at the top and you follow it um, to the end. It's really about aggregating as many opportunities as we can at the top of the funnel to really deliver you as many um, sales qualified leads as we can. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've um, explained intent data and the power of it through our, through our methods and, and, and what it can do in lead generation to, to hundreds and hundreds of people now, obviously in the, in the day, day to day of running the business. And I think the, the easiest way um, to describe the process is, is the classic you decide to um, go into the garden one afternoon and you need to dig a hole, right? Um, that mm -hmm. hole you've had planned to, to plant, you know, a tree. Let's say it's a tree you're planting, okay, and you've got to dig a three-foot hole. Um, you've kind of allowed yourself two hours to do it. 
um, and you just got to the point where it needs to be done. Okay, so you wander out into the garden, dragging your heels a little bit with your spade in your hand, you start digging away. Um, you get an hour and a half into the process <clears throat> and then you quickly realize actually I've under underestimated this job um, I'm gonna need two more hands I'm gonna need a better spade and by the way it started raining so I don't really want to do it um, and all of a sudden the doorbell rings and there's a team of three people sit at the door each with better spades than you um, and are willing to work in the rain um, you're at least gonna let them in for a cup of tea aren't you and discuss uh, you know what it's going to cost you to get them to do it there and then right um that's a really clunky way but quite a easy way to understand what intent data enables right exactly yep and we're helping you we're yeah that makes sense i never thought sense, about it that way so um look yeah. out people basically roman and i might turn up your front door with spades in our hands that's what we're trying to say right <laughs> exactly okay cool so so from there then, obviously, um, we've got to make use of the data. Yeah, so um, it's all very well getting intent signals, which is cool, um, and, and kind of turbocharges the conversion rates coming in. Uh, we've then obviously got to make sure that we've got the right information. We're going to make sure that we're compliant as well with GDPR, um, which is a whole other conversation probably for a different um, podcast and a different specialist but um, yeah. you know the the process we go through is is highly compliant um, we obviously then need to re-enrich the information right as in find the right person as you alluded to earlier um, we've got to make sure that we've got the right contact details for said person the, the most importantly the b2b email address as well that's key yeah, yeah. and we kind of then end up with this this bucket of perfect ideal customer profiles, right, for, for the campaign. Um, and I know what we then do from there is we'd segment it down maybe to a geography perhaps, or some form of firmographic, i.e. different industry. Um, so the, 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 you might have a bucket of people in the tech industry showing intent for a particular topic, yeah. And then we'd have a, yep. um, uh, maybe some agricultural firms showing the same intent but they're in a different industry completely right once we get down to that yeah. it's really key in terms of understanding the segments right because that then enables better outreach and better targeting through um exactly. personalization exactly so i think the key here is is personalization right if you have a thousand people and you send them all the same message chances are that it's only going to be relevant to a small small proportion of those people um so by segmenting by using um, technographic data um, so we have the ability to actually say okay we know that this company is using certain softwares um, we know this company is using the CRM um, and that may, might be relevant to our customers and therefore we can actually reach out and actually specify in the messaging or send blog posts or content that actually shows how our customers product can help pay with pain points that they might be suffering um, so segmentation and the ability to do that really helps get your message um, not only to the right person, but also touching the sort of pain points um, that they might be experiencing on a day to day. And I think that's really the key to opening that door to have a conversation with someone, right? Because if someone reaches out to me and says, you're the right person for this product because of X, Y, and Z, and I'm really suffering from what the solution they're offering, um, well, from the problem, 
first and they have a solution to my problem, then I'm always open ears, right? So I think segmentation really helps um, us internally make sure that we're maximizing um, the bullets that we're shooting, really. Absolutely, yeah. I think the um, the um, another clunky analogy, I'm full of them today, um, is basically with the intent data, we, we find um, the fish that are in the sea, right? We know where they are. We know the ones that are looking to, to eat, basically. Um, and then with segmentation, we obviously break that out into the different types of fish and what they're actually looking for. Yeah, so then when you're trying to get their attention, I guess trying to hook them in, um, for want of a better phrase, um, you can use appropriate language and appropriate methods and industry terms um, that is actually going to show that you are an expert in that field, right? Um, because let's not forget... Um, any business worth its salt in this current industry um, will be owning a niche or will be owning a, um, a number of niches or, or verticals as they get called and they will be specialists in that area right um, so yeah. you know you, you might be very good at um, environmental uh, issues or an environmental product yeah but you might also be very good at tech for example so you've, you've got two verticals there and two niches that you'd be able to um, really resonate with when you're when you're outreaching to your to your clients that are in market for for your solution yeah there'll be there'll be ways that you can really show that you're different to, to everybody else because you know you've got the you've got the expertise and you, and you know how to communicate that right but the key thing is making sure the message and um the kind of the intention grabs are going um to the right people first and foremost then with the right messaging and the right um the right hooks so to speak Okay, cool. So what about um, channels, Roman? What gets you excited at the moment with B2B um, lead generation and demand generation? What, what B2B channels excite you the most? I mean, we're recording this in early December 22. So I imagine it will go live in 2023. So maybe a better question is, is what does 2023 look like from your perspective? What's exciting? So I think if we start with channels, I mean, you've got your classic email LinkedIn, um, potentially some telephony in there. Um, so I think the channels as we move into next year are definitely here to stay. Um, ask me that two years ago, I probably wouldn't have said LinkedIn was that much of an active channel. Um, I was leveraging it, um, but I think there was times where I would probably get a hundred percent connection rate, um, which was quite cool. Um, however, I think today, um, email and LinkedIn are the sort of prominent channels for B2B lead generation. So I don't think there's potentially new channels popping up, but I really think it's how you execute the delivery on that channel. I think there are a lot of tools, um, a lot of different methods where you can differentiate yourself from everyone else, right? So if we look at um, some things we do here at my bright side, like hyper-personalization. So we use, um, for example, um, a tool that's in-house that helps us sort of customize pictures and images based on someone's profile um, to grab their attention. So, for example, if we're connected with a prospect um, through our customer accounts, um, we can send that prospect a personalized image of um, a huge banner with their first name and the CTA that we want them to follow. Um, that really stands out in the messaging and differentiates 
our customers prospecting from potentially the other 20 people that are trying to grab that person's attention. Um, it's almost so I think like a, look... a pattern disrupt, isn't it, Roman? I mean, that's the that's the yeah. thing, right? You, you, you take in um, messages and adverts and everything all on different mediums, right? On your laptop and probably most importantly and beginning even more important over the last three years and onwards is on mobile as well. So it's yeah. uh, the power of the, the hyper-personalized image is... No, it, it stops people to actually look and it looks like you've done some pretty nifty creative to to get their attention which is as long as we're going to the right people of course and the messaging sounds and they are the sort of person who'd be interested in your solution it's a real neat way to um to open a conversation basically isn't it get them to stop and, and look at what's what's happening exactly um so i think channels itself um are not necessarily going to change. Um, but I think how people within those channels try and grab the attention of their prospects, I think that's really where the ball's moving every day. Um, you know, through personalized imaging, um, personalized demos, um, I think that's how really people are gonna differentiate themselves from someone that's not gone to the effort or gone to the time, right? I think people in the space are, are respectful of, of people trying to shoot their shot. Um, and trying to get in touch with them. So I think if you make the best impression out of everyone else, then you're going to have the most chance of getting a reply. Um, something that I have also think that's quite interesting, if we go back to channels, um, in a, such a tech-heavy world, I think the opportunity to potentially get in touch with super high-value prospects um, through sort of analog channels, for example, through the post or through... Um, physical, you know, items that can be introduced into quite complex workflows and, and prospecting. I think that could be an interesting opportunity going forward because I don't remember the last time I received a letter in the post. So, and I definitely do read them when I do get them, um, usually because they're from my bank. So I think <laughs> if we can get involved and start competing with the bank's attentions or, you know, council flat tax, etc. I think there could be an interesting opportunity there for our customers. So um, definitely something that we can facilitate with technology as well. Um, I think that's a really interesting point, Roman, actually, because we, um, and it, there's no doubt, just to echo what you're saying, in B2B, um, in B2B selling, right? And we, we need to be really clear that business to business is completely different to business to consumer, despite what people, um, what people say is completely different, right? Um, the disciplines are, um, more uh, refined in b2b should we say um and you know time is more of essence in b2b as well because um most people are kind of sat i, I know people do hybrid working and stuff now but they're normally working for eight nine hours a day maximum right and you've got to make sure you're you're being um, courteous with that time as well so the interesting thing in all of this is the the number of channels and the methods um sorry that's the wrong word the number of channels and um, the ways that you can get stuff in front of people hasn't really changed, has it, in the last um, three, four years. So what I mean by that, you've got LinkedIn, you've got email, you've got telephone, um, you've got physical in post, yeah, and then you've got, you know, turning up at someone's office, basically, or, or meeting them in a conference. Now, um, you know, I'm, we're not going to talk about Facebook and, and, and Instagram and stuff in this conversation because we're trying to keep it B2B focused. But it's 
it's interesting that those those platforms and those methods haven't changed yeah email came around no. in the late 90s cool um has, has refined and the ways that you use it has, has changed and um, we'll touch on that in a second linkedin's been around for a, a decade now and yes that develops and the way you do it develops but it's all you know it's been developed for the better basically uh, and, and direct mail kind of um you know there's a big industry before for lead generation through direct mail which kind of all stopped and now it's all coming back again as well um but the interesting thing about all of that is how you get them to interact with each other and using it intelligently yeah um we have a a method called multi-touch um where uh we're running it on linkedin on email and other mediums as well but linkedin and email seems to be the most powerful combination at the moment yeah um and i guess there's there's an element around all of this of, of acting like a, a world-class salesperson, right? Um, you know, anybody who's in prospecting or has a, um, a new business target, um, which to be fair, it's pretty much everybody in business, whether they're in sales or not, they've, you know, they've got to get hold of stakeholders, yeah. they've got to get a hold of people, they've got to make things happen. Um, is, you know, if, if, for example, if I'd never met you, Roman, but I needed to get in contact with you um, and I was going to do it, all on my own without a managed service to do it for me i would be going connecting with you on linkedin i'd be trying to get your email address you know if i can get your mobile number i'll try and whatsapp you you know there's different ways depending on urgency and, and etiquette in the situation um so we're seeing some real real um some real results right some quite remarkable things happening when you when you go omni-channel or, or multi-touch through the process right yeah exactly so i think I think, as you said, we focus on B2B, right? Um, but if you look at the B2B buying process versus the B2C buying process, you know, for B2C, you're competing with one person's and the psychology behind, are they going to purchase this product, right? When you go to B2B, you're suddenly dealing with potentially up to 10 people that are influencing the decision. You've got to go through a buying process. You have to be factored into budgeting. There's so many moving factors that it really as you're saying, as, as you're saying, um, it really is important the amount of touch points and the amount of activities that someone's receiving from you to feel that you know this is something that you know really needs to happen and I need to push for internally, right? And that's how you get how I think that's how you go from top of the funnel opportunities to you know people coming out of the funnel in closed sales, right? Um, so through what we've developed, and I think we're calling it the ultimate multi-touch, right? I don't know if we can trademark that, but I think that's internally what we're calling it. Um, it's all about touch points. It's all about activities, right? At the end of the day, you know, everyone says sales is a numbers game, um, and I believe it is. But I think, you know, the activities that you're doing need to be of high value, right? You can't just be doing minimal activities that don't actually amount to anything. You need to be doing activities that are going to impact um, yes. the person actually reply to you. So, for example, as you mentioned. If you really wanted to get in touch with me, you would try every means possible, right? And I think that's the mentality that in-house we adopt, that we need to use every means possible to get in front of the people um, that our customers want to sell to, right? Um, So whether that's, you know, engaging with people's posts, um, trying to build a rapport through liking posts, commenting on posts, um, you know, inviting them on LinkedIn, sending them an open email, Um, emailing them I mean the list goes on of the different sort of activities one can do as you said a world-class SDR would do um, 
that we implement here at My Bright Side to really get the person's attention and get them to at least give us an answer yeah. um, in a nice way. And, and then it all, it all comes down to, yeah, well, exactly, exactly. But it all comes down to uh, etiquette, right? Um, and, yeah. I, I, and I say that with um, the conversation on segmentation previously in mind, yeah? Um, you don't just send a person um, a message or an email or... Um, even a letter right in the post telling them all about yourself yeah you, you need to make sure that the person you're about to speak to is the person who wants to hear about yourself and you want to use um, the multi-touch cadence um, you want to use um, all these different tools you've got to kind of build a rapport along the way right so when you do finally get to a place where the person wants to have a chat with you face to face or on zoom as we are now in the modern world um that they yeah. you know they feel like you've taken the time to, to really understand them um and yeah. they feel like they've 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 had a conversation with you before you get it you know before you get in that room with them um exactly which is what we call humanizing the process right yeah exactly and i think you know i'm gonna we internally have sort of a controversial view for other agencies right um I, you know for example when linkedin um, introduced the the limit on the amount of invitations. It was sort of chaos in our industry, right? Because a lot of our competitors were just sending mass amount of invitations. They were sending mass amount of emails. But internally, you know, our view is you know, there's a lot of noise going on, and each of our bullets so important that we want to make sure that the right person's receiving it, and that we're not just sending it and spamming it to everyone, right? And I think if across the industry everyone followed those practices then only the people that really needed um, to hear what you were trying to say <clears throat> or trying to sell would receive it. And you'd be competing against people that are actually sort of messing up and reaching out to the wrong people or not doing their job properly, segmenting, humanizing, et cetera, right? So I think internally, it's really important that we, you know, we stick to that and we stick to our sort of our guns on that because... Um, I think that's really what differentiates us and, and really allows us to get the best replies um, for our customers and the best sort of opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's been intelligent about that, right? Um, I mean, sales intelligence is, again, we could probably do another hour's chat on that. But if I give you a, a, a worked example, I'll give you two, right? One of our best internal campaigns has been around geography. Yeah. Um, yeah. So our office is in Bristol in the UK. Um I would say about 30% of our customers now are in that geography. And when you look at the yeah. conversion metrics, because we've hyper-personalized against geography, against industry, um, we've doubled down on our areas of expertise as well, then you look at the numbers on, on the step-by-step um, -step coming through the process to actually confirmed business, um, is it f is far more effective than if we were to try and pitch to somebody in I don't know, in Australia, um, in an industry that we're not used to, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there's, yeah. there's you know, geography is one example of sales intelligence. Another one could be maybe um, you're a financial firm um, and you can do your process, your product fits better with companies that are running on um, particular accounting software like Xero, for example, or Sage. You know, if you knew at the data stage that that company runs on Sage or Zero, then you can adjust your message, right? You can adjust your pitch. Exactly. And you also know when you're in a room, you can service them better, right? Um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a believer, um, you know, we're, we're going through a, a period of growth here at my bright side, which is brilliant. And it's because of the way the industry is all changing and people needing the services. But, um, you know, our, our strategy, Roman, is very much around serving the clients that you can really make a difference for, you know, and you have to be bold to say, do you know what, guys, um, maybe that isn't the right industry for us to go after. Yeah. Um, because there's you know there's there's plenty of um, opportunities around for all businesses right um the thing that delivers value and will allow you to have sustainable growth is is going after the businesses that you can you know right the ones that you can go and see them or you can um, talk about the tech stack that they're currently operating on or um, you, you do have experience in, in in that sector quite heavily you know um i think that's that's better for, for buyer and seller all around right Exactly. Yeah. Great. And then um, there's so many technical things I could ask you, um, but I think we're we're slowly running out of time. Maybe we'll jump on and do another technical session at some point on um, okay. email warming. Um, I think it's important to cover. Um, so we we'll, we'll... touch on that quickly. If you want. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so in B in B two B sales. Um, your number one enemy when it comes to email is spam algorithms. Um, spam algorithms, whether it's the Google Outlook or Yahoo ones, they're really looking for people who are sending a lot of emails and not getting replies, right? Because that would indicate that they're spamming everyone and no one wants what they want. Um, so an interesting sort of niche in the industry that's come out because of um, the more and more people doing B2B sales campaigns on email is the practice called mail warming. Um, a lot of people think mail warming is literally, I buy a new domain, it's never emailed anyone, so why would it have good deliverability? Um, so you now sort of get it to interact that email domain with other emails that have an established reputation, and that should, in theory, increase the reputation of the email that you just bought. But actually, um, mail warming is a little more than that. Mail warming is actually, okay, if I'm sending 100 sales emails a day, and in theory, I'm going to get a proportionate smaller amount of replies than I would if I was sending 100 business emails a day. Mail warming can actually help you get the proportionate amount of replies that the spam algorithms are trained to look for. Um, so what that means is through softwares that enable you to essentially get replies back to certain emails that you've sent to a network, um, to allow you to essentially get the correct amount of replies across all the emails you're sending um, that a typical person would get. Um, so that's a very convoluted way in saying, convoluted way of saying that essentially, if you knocked on a hundred people's doors that didn't get an answer, um, you probably wouldn't knock on any more. Whereas today, um, what you can do is essentially knock on a hundred and get at least two to open the door and say hi to you rather than ignore you <laughs> um, yeah. to give you a little more to keep going um, so that's that's mail warming as a practice um, it's sort of emerged in the last two three years and it's really making an impact on the companies that are leveraging it um, because the more and more people that are doing sales emails campaigns are finding that deliverability is varying negatively um, over the last six months um, so that's something internally that we adopt on all our email campaigns and something that's proven really powerful for our customers. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's the the, the key, key thing um, with any of this, right? We talk about data, 
first of all that's important but also you've got to make sure that you could write the most amazing messaging most personalized humanized message that's absolutely yeah. bang on for your recipient but if it's not getting in their inbox or landing on their linkedin profile or um coming through their post box if it's if it's mail or if the telephone line isn't connecting right um all of it's wasted basically so yeah i think things like email warming etc are, are critical absolutely critical and get overlooked all the time um with businesses so um yeah maybe we should um maybe we should take 30 minutes out and, and talk about that um on a separate podcast roman because i think that would be quite valuable for everybody to to understand and see what they can implement okay cool all right roman we've, we've run out of time mate that's us Are we? We've run out of time. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll, um, we'll, we'll shelve all of the other things that I know we can talk about um, for another session. Um, but um, in the meantime, thank you for your time, buddy. Um, is thank there anything you. you want to add before we, um, before we cut off? Um, I guess my, my parting words are, I experienced the hard way of finding out that you can find literally, as I mentioned at the start, a thousand people to sort of make your product work with you on your product but quite literally the hardest thing is finding a thousand people to buy your product so i think whatever you're doing um i'll focus specifically on the tech space and new software development all these um all the cool sort of sexy new ventures that people embark on find your customers before you even build your product um that's something that we can help you here at brightside with um something that i definitely have experience with and i think you'll find that having conversations with prospects, regardless of their intent to buy, regardless of their buying ability, um, will help you build that product, build that software that you're trying to build. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a classic, isn't it? Um, It comes back to the basics of supply and demand, right? You know you've got the product, you can supply it, but you really do need that demand to to keep the wheel turning and to to get traction and to grow. Brilliant. Thanks, Roman. Um, I'm sure we'll see you again on the podcast, but um, until then, we'll see you soon. Awesome. Cheers, Robbie. Hey, guys. Really hope you found today's On the Bright Side podcast interesting and full of business-to-business sales and marketing advice. If you like what you hear, please head over to our LinkedIn page for more free content. And, of course, feel free to connect with me, Robbie McGregor, or any of my My Bright Side team for the latest news, advice, or even a quick friendly chat. Until next time, stay on the bright side.